Blog Talk Radio. Wednesday Day Conversation. I thought Tommy was there and ready to go, but Tom's a little bit uh, 
delayed this evening, so we'll get to Tommy Gilbert in just a couple of moments. We've got some great guests, as always, in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, Roger Hendler has been with us for so many years and does such a great job after moving out of Philadelphia and into Atlanta. And, of course, Roy Cummings joins us the first half hour each every Wednesday night. And we've got a couple of other good guests coming up tonight. Les Bowman's going to come up at 8 o'clock. Mike Schulte's going to come up at uh, 8.30. Uh, Mike Sitchek's got to come up at uh, around 9 o'clock, and then, of course, Doug Hamilton. So, uh, welcome to all. Glad to get started again, and we'll get Tommy in here in just a couple of minutes when he gets straight yeah, down. On. Uh, Frank, can we start out with talking about a uh, little dedication Tommy, at the top of the Tommy show? And, Roy, uh, let me just say, uh, National Hockey League lost another outstanding player last week, and uh, Rod Gilbert, Mr. Ranger. And so I'd like to take a couple of minutes just to uh, touch on Roger Gilbert and what he meant to the New York Rangers and what he meant to the National Hockey League as we did last week with Tony Esposito. Yeah, if you you know you don't have to follow hockey, I don't think to know uh, about Roger Gilbert. Uh, if you're just a casual sports fan, you've probably heard of him. You know the Cubs have uh, a guy they call Mister Mister Cub Ernie Banks, and uh, Roger Gilbert in New York was known as Mister Ranger. He was uh, he was his, uh, he, he he kind of embodied the uh, the, the blue shirts and uh, was a guy that um, you know played at an at extremely high level, a Hall of Fame player and a Hall of Fame person. And um, it was great. Uh, one of the great things about Roger Bear is when he was done playing, uh, he became an ambassador for the game and for the Rangers. And it was hard to go to a Rangers game and not see him there. And uh, you know, usually did see him somewhere and always greeting people and uh again always a great word for everybody you know always uh, open to to the fans willing to take pictures sign autographs do anything he could to help promote the game and uh, uh he was as great a play a person as he was a player and uh, as i said a hall of fame player so tells you about everything you need to know about rod gilbert he's just uh, a tremendous talent and a tremendous person and uh much like the loss of tony esposito it's a, it's a devastating loss to the game of hockey <laughs> Well, coming right out of the shoot, uh, the Phillies have taken a one-run lead against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay had the – or Phillies had the bases loaded, but they just turned a double play. Uh, Tampa Bay did, so it's one nothing, two outs in the bottom of the second inning. And, uh, Roger, we'll let you start off tonight. Some good things happening in Atlanta, so we'll let you kick off the game. Hey, Don, Don before we do that, Roy's got a, a dedication. Oh, I thought we said we didn't have anything. Okay, go ahead. No, no. Well, thanks, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Don. Uh, yeah, I just I, I kind of wanted to dedicate tonight's uh, show uh, to uh, a good friend of mine that we lost uh, last week as well. Uh, his name is David Alfonso. He was a uh, oh, writer yeah. at the Tampa Tribune yes, uh, for a, for a good thirty some years, and um, he covered uh, college football and college sports primarily. And then he became our boxing writer back in the. Uh, Marvin Hagler, uh, Thomas Hearns, heyday. He followed, uh, he obviously chronicled boxing uh, through the Mike Tyson rise and fall. And as I said, he was, uh, he was one of the real, uh, real special people that we had at the Tribune. There was, a, there was a core of people there brought on by Tom McEwen back in the day. I was fortunate enough to be a part of that. And David Alfonso uh, preceded me there. And uh, he's one of those guys that, uh, as a young sports writer, you looked up to him. You tried to emulate him a little bit. Uh, you know, if you could be as good as him, you were probably doing a pretty good job. And uh, 
David got out of sports writing uh, late in his uh, working career and went on to be a, a math teacher at, uh, at Plant High School. He was a Plant High School graduate here in Tampa. And uh, he broke some barriers early on in his career. He was, uh, you know, one of the Latin, uh, a Latin-born guy who, uh, who made it big in, at a major city newspaper at a time when um, there weren't a lot of those, uh, a lot of guys like that getting the opportunity, and he got the opportunity, and he made the most of it. A University of Florida graduate who never gave up on the University of Florida, and uh, he's, uh, he's wearing orange and uh, blue right now in heaven. And uh, we miss David Alfonso. Uh, Tampa Bay sports community lost, uh, lost a great one, one of the great con- chroniclers of uh, sports history in the Bay Area for sure. How well, Roy, that's Roy. glad to hear that, and, and sorry I didn't get to it right at the top of the show because I didn't know yeah. uh, that we had any dedications. Also, didn't know uh, they told me Tommy was there, but they didn't open the show. So we're getting off to a rocky start tonight. <laughs> we'll go back to Roger again and see if he can get the show started in a better plane. Okay. Well, a couple things. I wanted to find out, Roy, uh, how old was Mr. Alfonso? He was 75, and uh, he had fought a 25-year battle with leukemia. So, uh, oh, wow. he, and it was, and it was a, believe me, he, he put up a good fight and, uh, but, uh, you know, he knew his time was up and he was ready to go when the time came. And, uh, uh, he, he wrote his own obituary. It, it appeared in the Tampa Bay times here in, uh, in Tampa or St. Petersburg, uh, this past weekend. And, uh, it was really, uh, it, if, if you get a chance to read it, you can go on tampabay.com uh and look up their obituaries and look for david alfonso and you'll get a feel for the kind of person he was and the kind of writer he was um he made you laugh uh and made you think all at once and uh, did it in an, in an entertaining way with ever with never taking himself too seriously and uh, he brought that uh to his reporting of college football uh certainly to his reporting of boxing and uh and everything he did and uh if, if you read that little old bit that uh, that David wrote for himself, um, you'll know you'll know why uh, I wanted to dedicate the show to him because he was uh, just a tremendous person and a great guy and a good friend and uh, we all miss him uh, here in Tampa. Well, yes, we I'll do. tell you, I I read an article I, I'm pretty sure uh, today or yesterday uh, that a uh, a National Hockey League I forget the name uh, player uh, died I think 31 years old. And uh, yeah. I, I just forget who it was. I mean, it wasn't uh, somebody I was familiar with, uh, but uh, I'm pretty sure that, that – so, you know, a sad day. And uh, But Rod Gilbert was uh, – boy, I'll tell you, I remember watching him play uh, when I was, uh, you know, young. And what, what a great uh, a great player. I mean, living in, uh, in where I did like Don did in central New Jersey, you got uh, all of New York TV and you got all of Philadelphia TV. So uh, I was just trying to get the uh, the Braves game on, and I, I can't get it. The MLB has uh, the, the Mets. So uh, I don't know why the Braves game isn't on tonight. But, you know, guys, uh, back on Ron Gilbert yeah. real quick. Um, you know, he was much like Jean Beliveau uh, from the golden age of hockey, and, I, and I, I'm one of those who believes that the 60s and 70s was the golden age of the NHL. Um, so many great players through that period and uh, so many uh, uh, great Stanley Cup runs and things. And and much like Jean Beliveau, who was just as classy a person as has ever worn an NHL sweater, um, Roger Bear was the same, you know, cut from the same cloth. And um, 
he was just one of those truly classy people that, uh, as I said, embodied everything that the NHL crest is supposed to stand for and that it wants to be. And, um, and again, that's, that's why uh, the NHL is, you know, it's, it's lost a great one, no question about it. And as the years go by, Roy, uh, he became more and more of Mr. Ranger. I mean, uh, uh, everybody considered him to be the leading New York Ranger player. And as you mentioned, uh, made many, many a stop at Madison Square Garden uh, for each and every game. And uh, his popularity within the organization and within the city uh, just grew with each season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. As I said, uh, or as I alluded to, it's uh, – it was pretty hard to get to a to a Rangers game and not see him somewhere. Uh, if you were looking for him, it was easy to find him. Um, he was there, and again, as I said, uh, you know, playing the role of ambassador for the game and for the Rangers. Um, I think he had a lot to do with uh, recruiting some free agents there at his time, and uh, he was just a great, uh, just a great person, and uh, as we all know, a great hockey player as well. So, uh, Les Bowen will be able to touch on him as well. Interesting that Les is coming up behind me. Les and I are. Our career paths uh, pretty much followed one another. Uh, uh, I came out of the hockey scene. Les was already established as a Flyers writer when I came on as the uh, Lightning Beat writer. Uh, Les is a guy that I read to figure out how to do it right. And uh, I ended up going to the NFL in 1999. I think Les will tell you he went in 2000 to 2001 to cover the Eagles. And uh, um, so our, our career paths kind of followed, ran along our they ran along parallel paths for many years, and uh, uh, Les is one of the great ones uh, in our industry, guys. So uh, appreciate you having him on. That's for sure. You've got a good. Uh, a good well, he's going to be up for the next half hour, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, Tommy, have you, you know, got Roy, anything to say I yet? To talk to Frank. I wanted to talk to. Wait a minute, Don. I wanted to say this to Roy. Uh, I, you know, I've thought about this a lot, and I think something we need to talk about is to have a guest on with Roy. That, that, because I think it would be very interesting for everyone uh, to uh, somebody that Roy, uh, you know, knows. And I'm thinking about the lead, uh, you know, like you're talking about. Les is a terrific guy and was a, is a great writer. You're right, Roy. Not only in football, he covered the Flyers all those years. And before that, he was at the Charlotte Observer. That's where he met his wife. So uh, I was. Uh, he's he's been a friend, and uh, I'm just really happy that uh, uh, he's uh, on because he was one of the cuts at the Inquirer, along with so many of the great uh, writers that are long gone now, uh, not physically, yeah. but uh, from the, from the newspaper. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, to say. it's really sad he, what's he happened there. Gone, at the he's Inquirer. gone from life. He's just gone from the papers. That's what I say. Yeah. yeah. About a year ahead of when the time, hey, it worked out well for Les. Uh, yeah, I think he planned to retire next year anyway, so he's getting a free year, But uh, and good for him because he's earned it. But you know, the thing about Les, and I don't know if he'll talk about this, and I don't know if he'll even admit to this, but um, what I learned from Les was well ahead of his game, or well ahead of, of his time, really, he, when, he, when he wrote an article, when he wrote a game story, for example, off a Flyers game or an Eagles game, he was already well ahead. He was 12 hours, sometimes even 24 hours, ahead of the curve. Because he wrote it as if, here's the questions that everybody's asking this morning, and here are the answers. I've got the answers to the questions everyone's asking. This is not a recap, necessarily, of what happened last night. This is a look at, well, what does it really mean? What does this win for the Eagles mean? What does this loss for the Flyers mean in the big picture? And 
that was kind of his approach. Um, again, I don't know if he'll admit to that. I don't know if he'll even acknowledge that that was – but that's what he wrote. He answered the questions that people were going to be asking the next morning uh, before they had a chance to ask them, and that's what made him special, in my opinion, along with the, the you know, the expert pros as well. I mean, he, he had a, he's a master of the language and, and just a tremendous writing style. But what I really appreciated about Les was that uh, – is his writing is that uh, he was ahead of the curve. He, he was telling you – what this game meant, uh, whether it was a one or win or a loss, uh, in the big picture, and what uh, what was going to happen as a result going forward. And he was doing that coming right off the game, which is uh, not easy to do. Well, I'll tell you, Roy, there used to be a show at 5 o'clock on Comcast before Comcast bought NBC and everything changed. And it was uh, Daily News Live. And they would have every day, uh, they would have a one or two Daily News uh, writers on. And it was just a great show that people love to. Uh, they couldn't wait for 5 o'clock. And then what happens is NBC changes it. They change the format. And it no longer exists. And I think that's one of the other things that uh, has been, uh, been a mistake in television and in communications, that when you have something that people want, it may be what management doesn't want, but listen, you're here to serve the public, you know, the viewers, not your own, you know, wants and needs, so to speak. And, uh, and Les was one of those Don knows because he's up there half the year, uh, that what a great show it was. I mean, we look forward to it at every day. Well, also, like uh, Roger, you have to add, just like Roy said a second ago, and, you know, this is what's happened to the newspaper. There's two things I'd like to respond with Roy on that. One, you couldn't write columns anymore because everybody sees the games on television. So what he did was, as you indicated, ahead of the curve, he started to answer questions because there's no sense telling you what happened in the game. Ninety percent of the people know what happened in the game if you follow the Philadelphia Flyers or you follow the Eagles. So he... He wrote down what he thought would be the next day's activity. So I thought that was very perceptive, Roy. Yeah, exactly. And, again, that's uh, as a young writer uh, just coming on the NHL beat, um, I remember one of the first uh, games, you know, covering. Uh, I was reading everybody trying to figure out how, how this is done, and I saw what Les was doing. I said, well, that's, that's the way to do it. You're right. Um, answer the question because everybody knew the score. Even, you know, we're talking about back in, uh, you know, the early 90s, but even then, ESPN, uh, you know, the highlight shows, everybody knew the score, and so you had to start giving them something a little bit different. And as right. I said, Les was ahead of the curve there in that regard. And and shows, Roger, to what you were talking about, shows like uh, Daily News Live, you know, we don't have – we didn't have one in our market here, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, those are the kind of shows I think – they to me they're important to sports fans because the the beat writers, guys like Les, myself, um, you know, those pe- those are the people who are on the front lines every day, talking to the players, right. talking to the coaches, and they're the ones who have all the insight. You know, they may not have it all on the record; they may have it on background, or something, you know, of what's going to happen. But there's a there's a lot more information that can come through a sports reporter, a, a beat writer, as Les and I were. Um, you know, if you've got an open forum for half an hour on TV, then you can get in a, you know, 24-inch story uh, in the newspaper that day. A lot more information, and that's what made shows like that so valuable and 
critical and why sports fans ate him up. It's one of the reasons that, you know, I was able to do similar uh, segments uh, at Channel 8 here in Tampa. Uh, You know, they take advantage of the fact that you've got somebody on the front line. We're in a situation now, guys, where there just aren't as many people, reporters on the front lines, uh, getting that kind of information. And we found out today that – the NFL is going to continue to restrict uh, beat reporters from getting into the locker room uh, during practice, uh, during the week uh, of practice and uh, after games on Sundays. And, you know, for sports fans, that doesn't help. Um, It it really inhibits a a reporter's ability to develop relationships uh, that allow him to get information that's critical uh, to telling the fans what they need to know prior to a game, after a game, uh, and, and leading up to one, uh, you know, during the course of the week. So um, it's getting harder and harder to be a sports writer these days, and um, it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, Les will tell you the same thing. Uh, having those uh, one-on-one conversations, uh, you know, over in the corner with a, a player, no matter what the sport, that's where uh, – that's where 90% of the information comes from, and it's uh, a lot of information that can't necessarily, you know, be put in the paper, but it can be disseminated in, in, in different ways uh, in the proper forum, and um, we're missing out on a lot of that stuff right now. Right, well, I think know, one Roy, of the interesting the things about the broadcast industry right now. Your... Hold, hold on a minute, Roger. Hold a second. Wait a minute. Well, I wanted to follow up with that, Don, because what Roy hit the nail on the head. The NFL is only allowing the team employees that work on the websites and everything to, to be able to go and talk to the players. And you're, you're right. I mean, it, it's unbelievable that they have, they're controlled so much. That's what I was going to follow up on, the fact that in the last 24 hours to 48 hours, there has been a massive coverage in the newspapers about why aren't the stations allowing their broadcast teams to go and report the games from the site. And they've gone into now a big thing about how much money they're saving by not, by taking the dual feed from the home team rather than sending their own personnel out and not traveling their broadcast team, having the broadcast from a studio or wherever it may be. Same idea. You're not going to get the same information. First of all, they can't see it as well, obviously, on television. You don't get the feel for the game. I'm not, I'm not objecting to the fact that they're doing it because it's in the best interest of everyone. But it doesn't make it a better broadcast. Well, no, no you're but right. what I was saying, ahead, Don, Don, is that just to follow up with what Roy was saying, the NFL is not allowing the media, except their own in-house media for the teams, and I guess the NFL network, to be able to get access to the players at practice and like Roy said. And, I mean, you, you talk about control – and I'll tell you, Roy, I know when I first moved to Atlanta in, in 08, Steve Weish was the beat writer for the Falcons before Darrell Ledbetter. And, I mean, I look at what Steve has done at the NFL Network, and I thought he did a great job at the Hall of Fame, you know, broadcast, because he was a writer like you that was the beat writer. You know, in the Roy, Roy, why don't you just stay on a couple of more minutes because Les is really, he's on the line right now, and we're going to bring <laughs> him in. And uh, Les, I know you didn't have a chance to hear the first half hour, but we have spent most of the time with Roy Cummings talking about the way you write, what you did with the Flyers, what you did with the Eagles, and 
your participation in sports in Philadelphia. And uh, first of all, welcome to the show. And what we'll do is we'll let Roy open it up with you, and because uh, he knows as much about what you're doing as we do. Go ahead, Roy. <laughs> Well, uh, Lessa, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm going to hand off to you here in a, in a couple of minutes. But uh, what I said earlier was that, uh, and, and I think you know this because I've told you before, and uh, certainly uh, we've uh, messaged each other back and forth over this, but uh, uh, what I let everybody know was that when I was a young uh, beat writer trying to figure things out, um, I turned to your writing to figure, you know, I, I saw how you wrote, how you covered uh, the Flyers back in the day and said, that's how this is done. You were so far ahead of the game, ahead of the curve of where we are now uh, in sports writing with so many highlights and things like that. I mean, you were, you were answering the mm-hmm. questions that people would have the next day uh, in, your art, in your game stories as opposed to giving necessarily a recap. I mean, that recap was in there. But uh, you, you were always uh, one step ahead. You were saying, hey, this is what it means in the big picture. I mean, that's what I took from it all the time. And uh, I'm sure there was some kind of a conscious uh, effort to do that, but uh, Les, you're, you're still one of the greats and uh, it's unfortunate what's happened in Philly, but um, it's happening to us all. And it's, uh, the other thing we were talking about is how it's, it's getting harder and harder to be a beat writer these days. Uh, oh, yeah. As the NFL just um, announced today that they're not going to allow uh, reporters into the locker rooms uh, during the week and after games again. Yeah, and, and thank you so much, Roy. That's so nice of you to say that. Uh, I, I, you know, you you do tremendous work as well, and you have done, and you've found ways to to make a living. Uh, you know, as this business has sort of crumbled around you, and I really respect that tremendously. But uh, yeah, what what the, you know, when I saw that from the league today, um, my first thought is I'm really glad I'm retiring. <laughs> Uh, you know, it just seems like it's, it's going to be impossible to do the job the way you and I would like to do it. Uh, I had thought this year would be a normal year, you know, back before the Delta variant showed up. Uh, I was thinking, I was kind of regretting that uh, that I'd taken the buyout uh, when I did because I kind of wanted to, to cover one more normal year before hanging it up, you know. But this isn't going to be a normal year. So, you know, I... Uh, I think I made the right decision, but I'm really, uh, I'm really sad for the people doing the job, and I wonder if this is going to hasten the. You know, there are a lot of things going on in the business right now that I'm not a huge fan of, in terms of people writing, uh, kind of fluff and clickbait and things like that. And to me, if you lessen access, you kind of encourage that you make that more you know you don't give people a lot of choice you know they have to write that to, to stay viable and uh it's just a shame i i don't like it i i wish there were ways around it and i think the longer the league goes on like this the what i'm afraid of is that the better the chance is that they'll never go back to the way it used to be yeah, well, that's what I fear. Is I fear that um, you know I'm, I was with you. I, I thought this was going to be a normal year, and uh, and now it's it's clearly not going to be unless this is the new normal. And there's a good chance it could be. I mean, let's face it. You and I both know that the NFL, uh, at least you know my opinion is the NFL has always been far more restrictive in terms of uh, 
media access than than any of the other sports. And um, yeah, you know, and 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 now it just seems like they've got a tremendous excuse here to continue to clamp down and uh, and not allow the reporters in. And you know, I think at some point, what's going to happen is. Yeah, we're kind of complaining about it from our perspective, but at the end of the day, the fans are the ones who are going to suffer because what's going to be missed is, you know, not not just that critical look at, you know, why the team is, you know, three and six, you know, at this point of the season, uh, or why it's six and three at this point of the season, um, but it's going to start missing out on, you know, a lot of detail, you know, small things about just, you know. The lifestyle of players, you know, how they live their right. lives, uh, you know, what makes them special, what makes them different, um, you know, what makes them tick. I'm glad you uh, said that. Uh, you yeah, know, I think, I've been I think that's what we're going to start missing. Yeah, I've been following the coverage of the Eagles training camp, and, you know, it's not that the people who are doing it aren't good, but you're just not seeing the, like, features of guys who are having, like, Swiss Watkins who's a second-year receiver for the Eagles, who's having a great training and seems like maybe a breakthrough player. And normally by now, you would know everything there is to know about Quez Watkins, his parents, yeah, uh, what he likes to do in his free time. Uh, I haven't seen any of that. You know, it's just not there. It's, they sit him up behind a microphone, you know, every couple mm-hmm. weeks. People write down what he says, but – most of the questions are, are football-related. You can't really – to really do a feature is, you know, you have to ask a series of questions, you know, and nobody's doing that because the format doesn't really allow for it. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating. It's Like you said, the, the fans aren't getting the same kind of information that they would get in a normal year. Yeah, and it's it's really unfortunate. Uh, I remember, you know, a couple of years back, uh, sitting down with Mike Evans, now that you know the Bucks uh, Pro Bowl uh, receiver, uh, and, and pretty much a household name around the NFL. And um, before he was really known, you know, sitting down with him and, and him telling me that, you know, how, how much of a, what a Harry Potter fan he was, and how he still had his, yeah. you know, invisible cloak and everything from when he was a kid, and. Um, you know, and it's little things like that that, you know, make the players human and allow right. the fans to relate to them in a different way other than, you know, here's this six foot five, uh, 218-pound athlete who can do things and can jump out of buildings the way I could never do. And, you know, but here's something that I can relate to him with. Hey, he's a Harry Potter fan. Um, yeah. And he had a Harry Potter cake when he was, you know, when he was, 19 at the age of 19 he had a harry potter cake for his birthday i mean these are the funny things that again fans i think are going to miss out on and 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 not only that less but as you know they're going to miss out on that critical um evaluation of of you know what it is that the team is really struggling with or or why it's succeeding so well uh in in ways that um maybe no one expected them to there's a lot of uh a lot of that comes from, you know, standing in the corner of a locker room and, you know, picking the brain of the, the right tackle who, who seldom, if ever, gets behind that podium uh, with a microphone in front of him and, uh, and asking him, hey, what's different here this year and what, what's, what's making this thing click as opposed to, you know, that. And, and um, right. you know, that's going to be lost too. And, again, the fans are the ones who are going to suffer. Yeah, I think last season you and I were in 
very uh, opposite situations that were equally frustrating probably. I was trying to cover a team that was falling apart, that was expected to be, you know, at least decent and contend for a playoff spot. And instead of 4-11-1 and the quarterback got traded and the coach got fired, and we didn't feel like none of us felt. There's a lot of beat, good beat writers that fill you know, not just at the Inquirer where I worked, but ESPN, Tim McManus, The Athletic, had Zach Burton and Shield Kapotis, Bo Wolf, you know, Injust.com has Mike Kay and other people, you know, and we all felt we didn't have a handle on what was going on. We didn't understand exactly why things went bad and how they went bad because we couldn't take anybody aside and talk about it. You know, I think covering the buck was probably just as frustrating from the opposite point of view. You got a team winning the Super Bowl, but you don't have the access. You have the fans aren't in the stadium. You know, what What a weird year to win the Super Bowl, you know. And it, it probably – I probably weren't, you know, books written, things like that about, you know, the way Buck did because you were kind of at a remove from – from the from the team, uh, I would guess. Yeah, it was. It was a it was a very strange year because you know let's face it, uh, reporters were really no different than uh, than the fans, and we got a little bit more access. To, you know, we got we got a, a press release, and if we got on the Zoom call, we can have, maybe ask a question. But you know that was controlled too, and you know a team like the yeah. Bucks where it, it started off you know a little shaky, and you know was a little bit. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty through the first eight, nine weeks of the season, what was going to happen with this team. And then all of a sudden they caught fire. So, you know, early on you're kind of wondering, hey, is, you know, is it going to work out here? I mean, Brady looks good. Gronk looks good. But something's not right with the defense. And then all of a sudden, you know, they catch fire. And it's like we never got a chance to really find out, well, what happened? And nobody got a chance yeah. to find out who Tom Brady was. Here, you know, here's an interesting thing. Uh, and I'll leave you guys with this in a little bit. Tom Brady – he became a different person, and I mean that, person, this past year. Yes. Um, you know, he was cl- clearly under wraps. Uh, his personality was under wraps um, in, 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 in New England. But when he got to Tampa, he loosened up, and he really loosened up after the Super Bowl. But no one's really been able to chronicle that. What's right. And because that opportunity to sit, here, sit with him, you know, and, and let him open up for 15, 20 minutes, go to dinner with him, uh, whatever it might be, has not been allowed. And it's unfortunate. There's a story about Tom Brady that's yet to be told um, because the access just isn't there to Tom Brady. Whether he would tell it or not, I don't know. But my guess is he probably would because something has changed about Tom Brady the person. He's a lot looser, a lot freer. Um, you know, maybe he feels like he's achieved something with his, you know, seven rings and it's like now he's going to throw caution to the wind. I don't know. But maybe, you know, if it is, he hasn't told us, but he hasn't told anybody. And it's unfortunate right. that, that's, um, that that's happened here. Yeah, Tom Brady's life in Tampa, that's something that I really regret. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's a huge story. Uh, it, I haven't – the Eagles quarterback is Jalen Hurts, and I haven't met Jalen <laughs> <laughs> well, Les, don't feel bad because no one in Tampa. Well, uh, we've met him now. We've had a chance to at least, you know, put a face to a name, or he has. Right. Uh, 
there's been a few couple of handshakes here and there, some fist bumps, but no, through uh, it wasn't until this training camp that anyone in the Tampa media met Tom Brady. He, we, yeah. we were all just voices on a Zoom call to him, so uh, it's the same here, and it's unfortunate, but I don't think the NFL cares one way or another. And Guys, I'll, I'll leave it to, uh, to you to uh, turn this thing back onto the Philadelphia scene with Les, who knows it as well as anybody. And uh, Les, great hearing from you again, and great talking with you. And uh, as always, it's my great. friend, uh, Roy. thanks for showing me the way. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't expecting to get to talk to Roy tonight, so this is wonderful. I'm really glad. So good to hear. We, Les, we try to do it all here. We we do everything we can to get everybody together and just talk about what's going on in the world of sports. And just to reintroduce Les, one of the outstanding sports writers in the city of Philadelphia for so many years with the Philadelphia Eagles, with the Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, one, one local thing to start it off, Les, from me, before we get to Roger and some of the other fellas, Looks like Dick Vermeil's on the top step. Yes, and that's a great thing. You know, I I was uh, I, I was growing up in Charlotte when he actually took over the uh, Eagles back in the '70s. But uh, I came here in '83, right after he burned out and uh, left mm. the Eagles. But he is a legend in Philly, uh, even though his Super Bowl victory came many years later with the Rams. Uh, you know, he's Dick Vermeil is beloved here. I mean, the the Eagles had been a horrible team for for years and years and years and years and years. They were the the Bengals of their day, you know, back uh, in the seventies. And the previous regime had traded away all the draft picks. So his first like three years, it, he couldn't even draft like a great player, you know, in the first round. But he and Carl Peterson found players and built a team that went to the Super Bowl, even though they didn't win. And uh, it was an amazing thing to do, and it kind of transformed, I think, the the Eagles' relationship with the city and the market a little bit. And you know, Dick is still uh, he still does commercials here. I mean, he's even though he hasn't coached the Eagles in nearly forty years, uh, he's still a big deal in Philadelphia. Roger. You know, Les, I talked about this earlier. I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show, and I hope that uh, you can be on on a fairly regular basis because love to have you and love to get your insight. And I thought about your entire career uh, in Philadelphia and, of course, before that in Charlotte. Uh, but at least it, uh, there was the great period, I felt, of Andy Reid and then uh, then Chip Kelly and then uh, the uh, – yeah, the the next uh, uh, with uh, Doug Peterson and a Super Bowl. So you got to be part of a Super Bowl before you retired. And I yeah. also mentioned about the show that we all loved. I thought it was ridiculous that Comcast dropped it, and that was Daily News Live. That all of us mm-hmm. just you know couldn't wait to see. You were on all the time, and uh, Mike Kern, all the other writers. Uh, it was a shame that that they did away with that show, but uh, you had a great career, and, and uh, you know, I think that Andy Reid period, you never knew what was going to happen, but you knew they were probably going to be in the championship game one way or another, right? Yeah, that was really amazing looking back. It was quite a quite a ride with Andy. 
Uh, I was talking to somebody else today about my second year covering the Eagles, which was the year after they lost to Tampa Bay in that crushing NFC championship game. Uh, the next year they started out 0-2. They opened their new stadium 0-2. And, and you would have thought, you know, that an atom bomb had been dropped on the city. I mean, it was just greeted as just the most horrible thing that had ever happened. And that team came back and won like nine in a row at one point or something. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, went back to the NFC championship game again uh, after starting 0-2. I guess somebody was asking me on another show today, you know, what if they don't win that opener against Atlanta, is the season over? You know, and I was explaining Ooh. that now I've seen, I've seen worse. <laughs> well, Les, sure what do you has. think of today's? What do you think of today's product uh, in the National Football League? I mean, it has changed substantially since, you know, we're talking about the championship years way back with the Eagles and then the the doldrums and then back up again. But what do you think about the game today? Oh, I don't have any problem with the game. I think it's great. I. You know, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I know some people grumble about the the penalties for uh, big hits and things like that. But if you've done any stories, if you've ever interviewed any of these guys that or their families who, you know, can't uh, remember where they left their car keys when they're 45 or 50 years old, I mean, I I support all of that. I think it's a I think it's a great product. I just wish uh, the league was a little more forthcoming about letting us on the inside of how the product is is uh, manufactured, I guess. I mean, you've got Hard Knocks going on right now, the, the show that everybody likes to watch every summer. And you can certainly tell this year that they aren't getting the inside access to show what it is, you know, the, the personnel decisions, the, the, the real – you know, behind the curtain stuff just isn't there. And uh, I, I, that's my biggest problem with the NFL. I think the game is exciting. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the trend toward offense has been a good trend. Uh, it, it makes the game better. Um, I don't have a lot of problems. Maybe my biggest problem with the game, the way it's played now is, the increasing reliance on replay. I think you can get way too – to me, I think replay ought to be to correct obvious mistakes. And an obvious mistake isn't like going back and looking at whether it's possible that a tiny piece of someone's toe might have touched a millimeter of a white line, you know, before getting into the end zone. I, I, I think there's replay gets too uh, – uh, the microscope gets too broad, and they try to legislate too many things through replay. And I would uh, – you know, the problem with that is there is no ultimate truth. Even with 20 different camera angles, there are times when you just can't tell. And they get hung up, and games last for on Mm -hmm. things that, you know, if you can't tell that it was an obvious mistake, then it wasn't a mistake. Let's go on, you know? I mean, you know what I mean. There's a difference between an obvious mistake and something that, well, it might have been a mistake. If you look at it from this angle, you know, 
I don't have any patience with that at all. I'm with you. Roger? Yeah, you know, uh, Les, uh, the, uh, getting back to the media and uh, the way they're controlling uh, uh, the uh, uh, content and uh, the, the uh, reporters, uh, you know, 1988, I was doing, a, uh, uh, doing radio up in, uh, in Princeton uh, on a weekly basis, and I happened to be out in L.A. for a meeting, and I've mentioned this many times. And we wound up and I went down to San Diego and we did a uh, Thursday and Friday night. We did a two hour show previewing the Super Bowl and there was only three stations, three of us there. And the NFL was so happy to get that media coverage, you know, with radio back east. But look at it today and now they're controlling it. And I I just think it's going to take its toll uh, on on the, uh, the team or on the league, I should say. And the because you know not everybody's going to look at the team's website. I guess you know the, right. the real big fans will, but I don't think the average uh, fan will. And I've heard people, and I've mentioned this before that I respect. They feel that the uh, the, the NFL will suffer a ten percent uh, uh, attendance decline uh, this year for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, some are social issues, and a variety, like I said. What do you think about that? Do you think that the uh, uh, that, that will happen, that there will be a decrease in attendance? I hadn't really thought about it, Roger. Uh, I do think in this market anyway, I don't think the social issue thing really resonates. I think, you know, this is, uh, this is not, you know, Dallas, someplace like that. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of, momentum there i do think though that the delta variant can it's kind of creeping into the the plans of everyone right now and uh i think there'll be people who who aren't comfortable going to a game with seventy thousand people uh and maybe they shouldn't be you know uh given everything we know right now um i, I think that could depress attendance somewhat uh, in this market, anyway, more than any concern about social issues. But, yeah, I think the league, you know, one problem we have here in Philly is you mentioned, you know, how few stations there were at the Super Bowl in 1988. The problem with the Eagles right now is they have like 40 or 50 people that want to come to practice every day. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. I can, I can certainly see it's a problem for them. But it also gives them quite a bit of, you know, they, they don't need us that much. I mean, they're beating us off with six pretty much. You know, they're trying to to limit our, our numbers. Uh, everybody wants to do it now. Everybody wants to be out there, every blog, every radio station, every TV station, uh, newspapers that because of the Internet, you know, for instance, NJ.com, 20 years ago wasn't part of the Eagles scene because they're really North Jersey, but because of the internet, they cover the Eagles now, you know, and uh, I think that there's so many of them. Uh, I really think that's part of the the issue here with the, with the the league. That's one of the interesting things to me, having lived in a Philadelphia area for such a long period of time and worked there. I just can't imagine what has happened in, in, in Tampa, Florida. I mean, 
for the Lightning to win the Stanley Cup, for the oh. you know the Buccaneers to win the National Football. Right now, the, the uh, Rays are in first place by a, a good margin in the American League East. I mean, we never saw anything like that continually uh, in Philadelphia, where everybody was at the top. Yeah. You know, the early '80s uh, was almost like that. The, the Flyers were in the Stanley Cup Finals. The Phillies won the World Series and got. World Series in 83. The uh, the Eagles were in the Super Bowl in 80. Uh, you know, the Sixers uh, won the NBA in 83 after coming really close several times. Uh, that was as close as you're ever going to get, I think. But you're right. It wasn't like that. I mean, it was, they weren't winning the, the championships except for, you know, the ones who did. But it's uh, – I know a lot of people – I'm glad Roy isn't on here anymore because he might get mad at me saying this, but a lot of people up here resent Tampa getting this because basically the people <laughs> in Tampa are all people from up here, you know? Right. I mean, the first time I covered a Lightning Flyers game, the entire crowd was out. Who we got on tonight? Wrinkled Flyers jerseys, you know, that uh, that they pulled out of the closet from 15 years ago <laughs> when they lived, you know. And uh, it's it's not the same, you know, in Tampa, nobody, nobody went to a Tampa Bay lightning game with their grandfather, you know, when they were four years old, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. a different mark feel when the teams are, are new and those are great organizations. I, I think the lightning, every team in the league should study what the lightning does. I mean, they're, they're, they're the top, you know, the best. And the Bucks mm-hmm. certainly with Brady and Bruce Arians, that's a great uh, – I'd love to cover that, you know, frankly. Uh, and the Rays, you know, it's, it's amazing what's happened there when they used to play in the old, uh, you know, old dome. Uh, that was just so, uh, you know, it, they'd have nobody at the games and, and it was pathetic. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great uh, – atmosphere, I guess, right now in Tampa, if you happen to be one of the yes, few people that Aaron actually roots for those teams. Well, right well, now, the Rays are up on the Phillies 3-1, to one, and uh, we, uh, first of all, Les, I want to thank you so much. I want to go back to what yeah. Roger said a little bit earlier. Uh, I hope that you'll join us periodically uh, as we keep the show going, because uh, not only Roy Cummings, but yourself, People have really had their finger right in the pulse of what's going on in the world of sports. And I hope that she'll take some time and, and uh, you know, just rejoin us every once in a while and, and so we can learn a little something. Oh, I don't know about that, but I'd be happy to come back. <laughs> Will you? I don't oh, know that I ever learned anything from me, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to <laughs> run out uh, Well, I want to get back and talk to you about Eddie Thanks, Snyder and how he built that organization because that's, that's another one that came out of the dust and uh, became one of the great organizations in the National Hockey League. You were closer to it. But thank you very, very much. Mike Schulte. Yes, uh, thank you. Mike Les, Schulte's thank on you the so line much. right Look now. Forward and, to talking and, uh, to you. Thanks so uh, much. A lot of things happening in the, uh, in, in the football world right now with teams jumping out of the Big 12. Uh, now I see the Big 10, uh, uh, the West Coast, uh, the conferences are trying to get together to stabilize things. So, uh, Mike Schulte, uh, give us a little input. What's happening in the administrative offices of these conferences? 
Well, you're you're right, uh, Frank. There's a lot going on in college football these days, and college sports in general. Um, you know, college athletics is seeing a lot of the convergence of a lot of things happening right now um, that are going to uh, mean probably a lot of changes um, uh, for the future in, in college sports. And some of them, uh, certainly, at least uh, at least some of them are, I think, are, are very very good for the sport, if not all of them. So. Um, a lot, lot going on. A lot of lot of the plates of the the uh, all the co- uh, college commissioners and the ads and the presidents uh, to work mm-hmm. through here, and the NCAA itself to work through here uh, over the next uh, well, 12 months or so. And uh, it's uh, in that regard, I guess it's an exciting it's exciting times. And of course, college football around the corner. So um, it's, uh, it's a lot of activity for sure. Well, I know the ACC and uh, and the Big 12, they've agreed now as, as far as the uh, West Coast as well. Uh, they're not going to poach on each other's teams. They're not going to poach on the players. Uh, and yet there's a major difference this year in the fact that the players are now able to make some money. Uh, we had to forget who we had all as a guest two weeks ago, and they said the quarterback who's played very limited football at Alabama already has endorsements for over a million dollars this year. So when you say things have changed, they've really changed. Roger, you're up. Well, you know, we talked about this, Mike, uh, a couple of times in recent weeks about uh, with the uh, SEC expanding. Uh, what Do you see the NCAA expanding to uh, six or eight teams in the playoffs in the near term? Uh, the the college football playoffs, yeah. Oh well, they're they're looking at a twelve team expansion uh, playoff uh, down the road here. Um, uh, so that that's what the that's what they have come out with as a recommendation so far. And I'm not talking about the NCAA because they don't they don't they're not in charge of uh, college football no, yeah, the, um, right, championship, football. but. But the college commissioners and 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 so forth, the the CFP group, I guess you would say, you know, they they of course introduced a a potential 12 team playoff back in June, um, and uh, you know they, they're you know they, they sort of sounded you know pretty sure that that's the way they were going to go, um, and and I I think probably if I had to guess I'd say they probably will go that that route, um, but um, I, I think. I think the expansion of the SEC seems to maybe have slowed down some of that discussion just because there's a lot more out there that they're trying to all deal with. And, uh, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, they, 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 some of the commissioners seem to feel like it seems like that based on what they said, that they, they're uh, wanting to maybe uh, look at things a little bit more closely here and really make a methodical uh, decision here on this to make sure that it's that's what they want to do and just and and there's also aspects of it that that uh, you know need to be d- d- worked out um, you know with regard to all the contracts you know with the uh, TV networks and and uh, and universities and so forth so there's a lot of a lot of things that need to happen before uh, they can put all that in place and and they also have to determine. Uh, a little bit, I guess. You know, there's some question as to how they're going to structure the uh, the first round games and when they would be played and so forth. So, there, you know, mm-hmm. these things don't happen real simply. Um, you know, they're very complex complex issues, 
And when you have, uh, as you mentioned, the NIL issue now with, with uh, college athletes and, and then some of the other uh, 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 things that are going on out there um, and, of course, conference realignment, you know, th- there's a lot of different elements at play here that are all sort of happening at the same time. And so I, I think, you know, uh, the key is going to be, you know, sort of how they, they deal with these things and, and, and how they intertwine with each other. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to have to, there's a lot of work to do, I guess I should say, you know, in regards to whether it be the playoff or any, or any of these other issues, you know, the NIL issue, for instance, is a, is a really unique thing, obviously never, never uh, happened before. And, uh, and it's great that these kids are, are able to, uh, to finally, you know, make monies, uh, uh, on their own. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, certainly back in the day and not too long ago, you know, you couldn't even, you, you couldn't have any kind of job out, outside mm-hmm. of, you know, if, if you were getting a scholarship in athletics, but you could, if you're in the, if you're getting an academic scholarship at a university, you could go out and work or have a, have your own business or, or, you know, whatever. Um, but, um, they, they couldn't do that if you were an athlete. And so I think it's great that they're doing that now and they're able to do that. But, you know, even that, that's, it's, it's, you know, it's, there's no uniform, um, uh, system in place, uh, on how to do it or, or what, you know, you know, the, the safeguards, um, but for the student athletes, um, or the universities and, uh, you have some, some states that have enacted legislation um, on it, and most others haven't. And even even the ones that have enacted it, they're all different. So depending on which state you're going to school in or you live in, you have a different set of rules right right now, or you don't have any rules. Um, so th- so there's and and you know these kids are going to have to figure out the best way to brand themselves and who to align with and who not to align with and. You know, you know, be prepared to pay taxes on that revenue. I mean, there, there's a lot of issues here at play uh, for something like this that sort of, you know, just blossomed up out of the out of the ground, and uh, nobody's really sure how it all is going to actually work in the end. So it's going to be a learning process, I think, for the athletes, and it's going to be a learning process for the universities. And and again, all this is happening with all these other things that are taking place. And and they're all going to be intertwined in some regard, uh, so you know nobody's quite sure how it's all going to mesh together. And the SEC mm-hmm. has been trying to separate themselves uh, from the rest of the football world for maybe what seven or eight years now, adding new teams, changing conferences, and so forth. And of course, this year when they had Texas, they made another big jump to a, a major uh, national team, bringing it into the SEC, uh, and and. Uh, so it, to me, it's just uh, more and more pressure on the other schools now. You they're saying, "Hey, the Big Ten, the Big Ten was a, that was it. If you were a Big Ten, or you you were it, you were it." But that's not going to be the case anymore. You got separation, the SEC, and then the rest of the world. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously that's a big that's a big uh, uh, going to be a, a nice addition for the SEC, but. You know the other conferences, like you mentioned, the Big Ten. I mean, they they still have an awful lot of a uh, lot going for them, and uh, the, the the teams that are in their, their conference and the markets and so forth. Um, you know, I mean, every, you know, every conference is you know going to look out for themselves and and try and do do what's right they feel for their 
for their conference and their members, you know, so you can't blame anybody for that. Um, so it's going to, you know, it's going to be very interesting. Like you said, to see, sort of see how all, the, all this works out. Um, not sure exactly when Texas and Oklahoma are actually going to start playing. Um, Two years, I believe, know, down in, the line. In SEC. Well, that's, well, yeah, we believe that, but again, you know, is that going to be sped up somehow or is it it really going to be two years? It could be three years. You know, how does, you know, how does that dovetail into, you know, nobody's really sure exactly when the playoff, the new playoff structure will will go into effect. Um, You know, the the current contracts for the playoffs and all the bowls and the, and this, in the conferences and the TV network, you know, have five more years on it. Um, so, but, you know, there's been talk that they could potentially start the, the expanded playoff as, as early as, you know, uh, after two more years. But, uh, you know, so, again, you know, but that's up in the air right now. We, we don't really know that for sure until they, they work on all the details. And then and then how does that affect the timing of, of these schools coming in the SEC and so forth? So, like I said, there's, there's just so much out there. Uh, it's a very complex issue. And a number, like you said, multiple issues, all complex, that are all sort of happening at the same time. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch how it all all plays out. Roger, hey Mike, uh, if uh, they have the playoffs, or I should say, when they have the playoffs, yeah. will, will it be beneficial to you and the Outback Committee? Uh, or will it be no no change whatsoever because you'll wind up getting a playoff game, uh, maybe playoff games. I don't know, but I I was wondering how it would affect you folks. You know, we we really don't know. Uh, number one, I don't think it'll it'll be negative effect on us. I you know, but it's it's all hypo, it, It's a lot of it's just hypothetical right now from the standpoint of. You know, we don't not really sure, and they haven't really determined exactly how it's all going to work. Um, you know, initially they were talking about having the first round games on campus, and then you go to you know basically having four games, um, uh, you know, and then two, and then the championship, um, and you know possibly using having the four games and the semifinals into the existing New Year's Six games. But are they going to do that, or are they going to put the first game, the first four games, uh, you know, in, um, you know, in a uh, bowl setting or a neutral site setting? Um, so they really haven't determined all that. And and again, there's just there's there's enough uncertainty that we don't we don't know the timing of it. Like I said, so for sure. So there's there's just so much that we don't know yet that we're really not you know, analyzing it from that standpoint yet, because, you know, we, we don't really know exactly what we're dealing with, what the parameters are. Um, I, I would say that generally speaking, um, you know, I, I, you know, the bowl are the Outback bowl is going to be fine. Uh, we're, we're going to continue on uh, to be um, a great bowl experience for, for teams. We're going to have, um, you know, be great for the community and the impact we, we provide to the community. And um, so at this point, that's all we know is that we're going to, you know we're going to keep keep going, um, regardless of of all these other things. And um, uh, you know, and and you know, it, it may end up being uh, well everything with everything else going on. You know, it may be uh, you know beneficial to us. You know, 
I know the SEC, you know, like you said, the S- Texas and Oklahoma go in the SEC. You know, uh, our relationship with the SEC has been very strong, and and I expect that to continue on. And and uh, so maybe we'll, you know, you'll see Texas or Oklahoma in the Outback Bowl one day. So, you know, there, there's uh, a lot of pl- potential pluses out there on all these things. And and uh, but like I said, it's it's hard to to really gauge, you know, uh, the effects of everything. Uh, I mean, if you you talk to people right now in the college landscape and between uh, some of the realignments and some of the, uh, you know, the NIL issue and, and the Austin decision by the courts and all that. I mean, there, there's, there's, uh, there's so much going on that nobody's, I don't think, you know, has a crystal ball to really understand how it's all uh, going to affect college athletics going forward. Other than the fact that there are going to be um, some changes. Mike Schulte, our guest, I was, uh, we talked about the Liberty Bowl and the Outback Bowl, I mean, and, and there are associations, not only with that, but the Restaurant Association, their Television Association, uh, two of the, the longest uh, uh, of all the bowl games. Uh, you've been on, uh, what, ESPN and ABC since almost the beginning. Your Outback uh, sponsorship has been there for such a long period of time. And at the end of last year, when, when the COVID start, struck, uh, Notre Dame made a deal, went into the uh, ACC and played ACC games last year uh, to be able to complete a conference and get into uh, finish the season. Now, where, where does that all stand this year, Mike? Well, you know, right now everybody is. I know there's a lot going on, and obviously the pandemic is still, uh, you know, out there. The virus, obviously, and and um, uh, though it's you know certainly not to the level it was last year, which is very thankful. Uh, mostly because so many people got vaccinated and hopefully more will continue. But um, it, it's really, um, you know, as of right now, college football, uh, you know, they're going forward with, with uh, their full seasons is what they're planning. Mm-hmm. The Outback yeah. Bowl is planning our full event schedule and, and you know, game, um, you know, as a somewhat normal situation. Obviously, there might be a few uh, minor uh, changes uh, here and there as, as need be. We'll adjust as we need to, if we need to, but as of right now, we're planning full speed ahead on this year and the event schedules and, and everything that we typically do leading up to the game. Um, and we anticipate that we'll be able to have a, a full stadium or, or sell as many tickets as we, as we need to, um, like everybody else. But, you know, as obviously, you know, we, we do happen on the tail end of the season. So as the season goes, you know, uh, you know, we'll follow. And just like last year, you know, we were very fortunate last year uh, to be able to have a game. Uh, most of the bowl games, uh, more than half of them, or almost half of them, I should say, um, were canceled last year, um, and uh, you know, which was tough. And and we were, uh, we didn't know if we were going to play uh, really right up until the day before the game, uh, until we get our last test results back from the the, the two teams that were playing in the game. And uh, we were able to play the game, and it was a great game. And uh, the fans that were there, uh, we were able to have uh, had a great time. It was great weather, and uh, so we were we were very blessed to to be able to to pull that off. And then, like I said, this year we're we're going full speed ahead uh, with what will be much more normal um, situation. Yes, we will. Yes, it will be yeah, hopefully, Mike, it will be more normal. But you never know uh, with new Delta strain come, coming into play. Uh, but uh, we can all uh, hope. And uh, 
you know, I, I'm amazed. Well, we're, uh, we're, we're just going off of, like I said, that, you know, right now you got the season starting this weekend. Um, right. And games, you know, coming up and so forth. And, and so we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm optimistic that, uh, that things will continue to get better. Um, even though there might be a spike here or there um, at times, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster. This is a virus and these things, you know, come and go. Um, well, Mike, they said the years, today, it was a, a major announcement today that the new booster shot is going to be nine times more powerful than what they have given so far. So it looks to me like they're really on the right track right now for those people that are going to take this booster shot if it, uh, when it, uh, if it becomes fully available. Uh, but it's a big, big jump from where the uh, original, uh, you know, medicine oh, had, came out. Yeah, I had, I had not heard anything about that. I thought I thought they were just doing, the, the, you know, the, the normal shot that we had before. But, but that was on the national uh, news tonight. You know, I, I, as, Okay, so as the, I think the key though is that as more people um, have had the virus and uh, and and uh, have the, the benefits of having the virus, um, uh, and and you know between that and those who get vaccinated um, and you know, booster shots or whatever, I mean obviously we're going to be helpful, but uh, I, I think you know we're, we'll continue to uh, to to right. be in a better better position with all this. So um, very very hopeful of that. Mike, I have to say that I work with young uh, men uh, in their 20s, and I am amazed that they, uh, many of them, the majority that I've worked with, do not have not had the vaccine and have no plans to get the vaccine. And their their mentality is, I'm healthy, I'm not worrying about it, you know. And uh, as Don alluded to, the vac- the uh, booster shot. I believe uh, we can get because it'll be six months uh, next in September when we are eligible. We got it in February and March, and so the uh, the second shot in March. So we'll be able to get the booster uh, next month. Uh, but I just the young people, and you look at how many major league players uh, have not. I know the Phillies were uh, under under fifty percent. Uh, and then you, you know, I remember we talked about the uh, Washington football team. Ron Rivera was shocked when they started practice or training, and they did not have it. And I saw that Delta is now going to uh, have a surcharge on every employee that does not get have the uh, the uh, uh, the vaccine. Uh, I, I read it today. I think it's two hundred dollars yeah, a that, month. Yeah, that's their. That's, uh, the, that's their because their insurance uh, insurance companies saying they're going to charge more for those people if they don't have it. Yeah. Yeah, well, Mike. Well, well, thank you very much. It's been a long time since we got together. Yes, it, uh, it doesn't seem like the Outback Bowl was uh, that long ago, but boy, oh boy, the time just goes so quickly. And I know this is your this is your time of life. You can't wait till the football season starts. So uh, you'll join us each and every week, and I appreciate that very much. We'll look forward to your next visit. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, sounds sounds great, guys. Thank Uh, you, Mike. Always great great to be back with you. you. Great, great to be back with you guys, and uh, and always great to. I'm really looking forward to watching college football this weekend. Even though it's a it's a a shorter shorter schedule, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Look forward to it. Mike Zimzak is ready to go now, and boy, there's so many things hey, happening Don, in the world. Don, I, I know that he, he's going to take uh, he's going to take Real Madrid. He's going to pay the uh, he's going to pay the players. So that, 
there's no real problem to get out of 160 million dollars or whatever it is the number. Mike, give us a, give us a little insight not only on soccer, but what's happening in the Baltimore, Washington area. Hey Don, well, before we do that, I just want to follow up on what Roger was saying. Uh, we had uh, at the sheriff's office in Sarasota County has a thousand and fifteen employees. One of the employees got uh, COVID, uh, went home for three days, and then returned without telling anybody that he had got that he was so sick. And now, as of this morning, we have one hundred twenty-five uh, people out. Sixty-five uh, deputies are out, and and. Uh, People from the office, crime scene, and uh, administrative mm. are out of out of work right now for a minimum fourteen days. That should be criminal. So please That's get criminal. the shot. There you go. That's exactly what I'm seeing, Frank. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Oh no. Um. Yeah. Like you know, sometimes it's not about you. It's about keeping everybody else healthy too. And you're exactly so, right. People, they don't care. They don't care. It's all about them. Believe me. You know, like, whether or not you feel, however you feel, think about everybody else, too. All right? Mike, have you got $160 million euro right now? You can, you can sort of, you know, spread a little bit of your money around. I mean, it's, it's you Oh, know. apparently, you know, $160 million euro gets you a uh, transfer bid rejected. But... You know what? That's the uh, that's the going rate for players over in Europe right now, and the prices that have been quoted on some of these transfer fees are absolutely insane. It's it's fun. It's silly to think about how much you know the and essentially it's a trade, but it's not a trade. Um, you know. In soccer, you, you you don't trade players for players. You 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 buy the contract. And we would think, like, how much would an NFL team be willing to pay for the contract of Pat Mahomes if they could buy it right now? Right. And it's a, right. So that's, that's how it is. And um, if somebody was willing to pay uh, the Kansas City Chiefs enough money to buy Pat Mahomes' this contract plus pay Pat Mahomes, if – this was the soccer world. He'd be on the Redskins or the Eagles or the Giants or the Cowboys, whoever wanted him. So in a way, it makes sense. But you know, then he starts seeing 160 million euros for a player, and it's like, really, are you serious? Roger. Yeah, you know, uh, Mike. Uh, Getting away from soccer, but it, it involves a, a woman soccer player, Julie Foody. Um, Fact, you know, yes. is doing, yeah, is doing the ESPN Little League, and I got it. You know, in the in the stands with the fans and the parents, she's doing a magnificent job. And I'll tell you, she was a really good soccer player, but I'll tell you, she's a tremendous broadcaster, and I think we need more. I don't know if you watched any of her work or not, but hey, she's Fred? doing a great job, and I. I remember her on that national show. Nine thirty. I'll take you over. That's right. Um, well, it's on nine thirty. Her work for the. We got a little override here with Frank, so go go ahead, Mike. I didn't. Go ahead, Mike. Um, She's one of the most decorated um, uh, members ever of the U.S. Women's National Team, and and a fantastic, 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 amazing soccer player. 
I did see some of her work. I was watching some of uh, the, the Little League World Series last week, and she's doing an absolutely amazing job. I love that they are giving her the opportunity to go out and, and do something that is not associated with 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 with, with her her background, right? You know, right, right. It's, it's, I saw Julie Foudy commenting, and I have. She's done a lot of um, U.S. women's games over the years for, for uh, ESPN, and she's done a great job with those. But it's really nice to see her get an opportunity to go out and do uh, a sport that I, you know, you're a soccer player. I wouldn't associate you with doing literally baseball, um, and I thought, think she's done a wonderful job with it like you do, Roger. Oh, I'm I mean, just throwing one thing. Tom Zerreese got was beat yesterday by Texas two to one. So, our New Jersey team uh, is out of the uh, College World Series. Sadly, they won it uh, years ago, and uh, they got they had a great run, but their run is over. They uh, they lost yesterday. So, just throw that out as a sidebar. I'll tell you what, though. Every time that I watch the Little League World Series, I'm like, why am I really watching this? They're 10 to 12-year-olds. But then you watch it, you really do enjoy watching it because I love watching just how much enthusiasm these young men have for the game. And when you talk mm-hmm. about going out and playing it for the love of it, uh, did somebody name me the last player that starred in the college in the Little League World Series and went on to be like a top flight all-star level MVP caliber major league player. Hmm. And well, so most of these guys this is where their their career this is this is it for them and I just love seeing how happy they are just playing the game. No yeah, well, some of them will go to college, you know, and some have made it to the major leagues. But I can remember as a kid, and I'm I'm sure that uh, uh, Tommy and especially Frank, because Frank's uh, right mm-hmm. in my, my age, and, and Don would remember, Joey Jay was the very first mm-hmm. Little League player to ever make it to the major leagues, as I recall, mm-hmm. a pitcher for the uh, Milwaukee Braves. I think you're right, mm-hmm. Roger. Mm-hmm. I think he's right, too. Well, the one thing about it is that I agree with you, Mike. Uh, you know, the enthusiasm that each and every team has and obviously uh, the disappointment when they finally uh, are eliminated. Uh, sometimes I think they get a little bit overly dramatic uh, with the ESPN presentation. Uh, you know, if you see with some of the kids crying or something, they have a tendency to to magnify that in my mind a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I guess it's great television, but uh, at the same time, uh, these kids put their heart and soul into it. They're 12 years old. They're not, you know, they're not seniors in high school. They're not playing uh, college. They're, high, they're 12. I mean, sometimes I think you have to step back a little bit and, and not expose them to some of the weaknesses that they have. Well, and I'll be honest, um, you know, my day job, I'm a teacher. I teach middle school, and 10 to 12 is actually the age range that I teach. And I look at the kids, and then I think about the fact, like, they're the 10-year-olds that I would have in class. Um, I can understand the emotions that they're having. They're still working through a lot of stuff. And, you know, I just love to go out and see them play. And, and, and 
I like it when I can get the, the opportunity to see him play and enjoy doing it because at the end of the day, like, that's what it's really about. Right. Couldn't Mike, are you able – are you – do they have middle school athletics in your district? Yeah, yeah. Um, you, do you coach soccer school, at all? Huh? Do you coach soccer oh, I, at I, all? I, 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 I would not coach anything. Why is that? I, I like watching more than I like coaching or or, or, <laughs> or anything like that. I, um, I, as an adult, am a perfectionist and a believer in what uh, Vince Lombardi said. You know, if winning isn't everything, why do we keep score? And I just figure I'll let the kids still have fun and let the people who are professionals do, at doing that deal with them. So I'm for well, the, the, the reason I the reason I ask is with your knowledge and uh, you know that you're a teacher and I think a teacher in middle school is probably because I've subbed them everything and I think a teacher in middle school is the biggest challenge of uh, of any age group and that's my experience but uh, I really think you'd be good because I'll tell you what two of the most fun years I had was coaching our high school girls AAU team. And it was mm-hmm. an, it was not a uh, a team that was uh, you know we recruited. Uh, we, one year we had one girl from another school, but you know it was local. And I'll tell you, I just I enjoyed it. We won some games. We lost more than we won, but it was great. I never had to worry about any issues. Uh, if you told them that we're going to meet at two o'clock, they were there. And I just think you'd bring a lot to uh, the table as a uh, soccer uh, coach. Uh, I really appreciate that. I think I know how to talk about it better than I actually know how to do it. It's been a while since I actually had to get out there and play the game. Um, and at this point, my knees are so shot from jumping out of planes when I was in the military. I don't know if I could move up and down the field. <laughs> is, Tommy, is he here tonight? Or what, is Tommy with us I'm at right all? Here, Don. I'm right here, yes. I'm right here. We're glad you're there, Tommy. Thank you, Rod. That's Donna. The show's been so super. I've been enjoying listening to it. It's so great. It's been <laughs> tonight. You're like, wow. I don't want to play. Hey, I should ask Les Bowen a question. When he came down with the Flyers, when the Flyers played the Lightning, we always hung this one place established, but not too far from Rita, and we had, played, we had combination playing air hockey out there. So Les is a great air hockey player. I was going to tell him that when he came on tonight. <laughs> so he's, got, he's a great, you know, good guy, great Personality. I used to look forward when the Flyers would come in to Tampa Bay, so you get together. I should get together with uh, you know him after the game. He played um, street hockey. So that's that's the whole thing we, I enjoyed about that. So, but Mike, well, uh, like that, like know, Don and I were saying, Tommy, and uh, I hope we can have him on on a regular basis oh, because uh, you know having been around him for uh, many years and and sure. talk to him and you know and. And he's exactly right. And, and Mike, uh, you've seen this. We want to talk to you about the, uh, uh, you know, Washington uh, football team and everything and, and get your analysis as they're going into the, the third preseason game. But I just saw a, a, a note on uh, ESPN that Vinny Curry, uh, who's now with the Jets, is gone for the year. He had his spleen removed, and he has a blooding a blood disorder, and that's uh, sad because he was on the Eagles for a number of years, and I was a big Vinnie Curry fan. But uh, mm-hmm. Don, Don would ask you, uh, 
What's the latest with the Washington football team? You know, uh, once again, no news is good news. Uh, they're going into their final preseason game tomorrow against the Ravens. And you can ask Doug about this when he comes on because Baltimore is in this really weird space right now where in the next couple of days they could be on the good and bad end of two really weird records. Uh, the, uh, The Orioles are in position to set the record for most consecutive losses. Uh, they're down to the Angels tonight. If they lose tonight, that'll be their 20th, which leaves them three behind the Phillies for longest, uh, cons- most consecutive losses. And the Ravens, if they beat the Redskins tomorrow, and gentlemen, I want to get your take on this. The Ravens, if they beat the Eagles, to, uh, beat the, the uh, Washington football team tomorrow, will be the owners of what I believe to be the most useless stat in professional sports. <laughs> if they beat the Redskins tomorrow, the Ravens will have won 20 consecutive preseason games. That's stupid. 20? Yeah, you're well, right. Harbaugh believes it. He believes in winning from the day one. He's always felt that way since he coached. He likes to win the exhibition games, well, not as much as he likes to win the regular season, but you would think so because he, he puts his forth, he puts his best foot forth to win every exhibition game. But I'm just saying, like, I, I believe that may be the most useless streak, one of the most useless right. streaks in professional sports, 20 consecutive preseason games. Well, I'll mm-hmm. tell you, Mike, after the uh, Eagles lost last week, uh, and Don has seen this in Philly TV and, and radio, I want to tell you, everybody is up in arms. And uh, I heard uh, a lot of uh, respectable broadcasters, that I, what I have a lot of respect for, they think it's absolutely ridiculous that they have, the fan has to pay for those preseason uh, yeah. scrimmages. Okay, I, I mean, think that, that is a disgrace. I think they should be giving away those tickets. For, <laughs> That's smart. You know, if, if, if you want to pay, if it were me and I were in charge of the NFL, mm-hmm. I would do $20 yeah, I'm with you. admission. Yeah. I would do $20 general admission. You pay 20 bucks. You come in, first come, first serve. Everybody get in. Sit where you want to. Open up the concession stands. Have every player out after the game sign as many autographs as they possibly can and really make it about the fans. Give fans an opportunity who otherwise would not be able to ever come and see their favorite team play because, you know, cheap seats for one of these NFL teams is like $100. Family of five, a chance to come out, see a game, get some autographs, get some face time with their favorite player, and just have a good evening out. I would, if I was going to charge, it would be just like just to pay the security people enough to keep the, the stadium open. I think they make enough money that they can subsidize preseason games and let fans who wouldn't otherwise be able to see the team during the regular season see them during the preseason, right? That, that, but that's just me, and that, that's why I don't run the NFL. Tommy? Well, listen, I'm with I'm with you. 
Well, it's the same thing when you get a team for the NFL. You know, they want to include those preseason games because it makes the, the feeling realize if I don't get these preseason tickets, I don't get my tickets in the regular season. So the NFL is a total top total thing. That's why I just don't care for the NFL guys for that reason. It's not a game friendly league. You take the no, it's not, Tommy. Remember, do you re, you, we remember the Philadelphia Bell in the World League back in the 70s? Oh, remember oh. Acme used to give out the tickets? They had 90,000 oh. at JFK. But, you know, right. uh, but you know, Mike, just tied into this, I have a question for Don because uh, he mm-hmm. did the Sixers for many years. The equipment manager and I think 17 under, uh, other people were let go for financial reasons. After Joel Embiid was given a $195 million contract. Don, Hmm. you're friends with that equipment manager. Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, really very, very interesting you say that, Roger, because, uh, you know, when Al Domenico, of course, for so many years was a big, big part of the 76ers, he was like the trainer, the traveling secretary, the everything. And uh, they expanded and picked up new people. But, and everything, like you were just talking about, uh, you know, Daily News Today on Comcast. Comcast has all the money in the world, but they don't want to pay. <laughs> no. They don't want to pay for anything. So, and the newspapers, they, they don't want to pay. As Les Bowman said, they don't want to pay, and they're not paying. They're cutting everybody back. They gave him a, a buyout for a year, as Roy said. And so he said, I'll take the buyout, and I'll go. And, uh, and that's the way it is. In, in, in the NBA, they're paying millions and millions and millions of dollars of wasted money, in my view, personally, wasted money, and then they're cutting the little guy right out. Well, exactly. and, and that equipment manager was there when you were there, Don. He's there 35 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't mean – hey, Roger, you know, you've been, you've been involved in these kinds of things. 35 years doesn't mean anything to anybody. No. No, but I'll t- I'll yeah. tell you guys, with the newspapers like the local paper here in the in the uh, county, I'm, I've called three four times now and never gotten a call back. And my suggestion was because they're 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 looking for advertising revenue. Right. Well, listen, why don't well I, you know we could put together a a Forsyth County uh, high school game of the week on their website and sell mm-hmm. advertising, and it doesn't take much yeah. to put it on. That's the thing. Nobody calls back. It's ridiculous. Well, it's the same thing. You know, that's why uh, high school football in Ohio, I tried, used to work for a paper, a small local paper, you know. And and funny story, guys, the, the sports, sports director of sports was coaching for a local town up there, right? And I had to cover that game. I said that, I remember this said, Dad, I said, Dick, what about your, what about your team? What happened here? And he threw something out. Almost the same paper, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, boy. But it's, well, it's tough- Mike, first of all, let me say thank you once again. Every week it's a pleasure. We touch on so many different things. We got yes. into football. We got into soccer. We got into Little League baseball. A little bit of everything in this segment. And uh, thank you very, very much. Look forward to next week and having you right back where you are right now. Hey, and before I go, I would be remiss if I didn't say rest in peace, Charlie Watts, uh, drummer for the mm-hmm. Rolling Stones. I know it's not sports-related, right, right. but uh, uh, 
yeah, I know it's a bit before my time. Huge Rolling Stones fan, and uh, mm-hmm. he was the one to beat that kept that thing going. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know what? Haven't got the band in heaven got a hell of a drummer last yesterday. Rest in peace, Charlie. And I'll talk yep. to y'all, gentlemen, next week. Take care, Parker. I know Doug Hamilton when he's not playing mm-hmm. golf. He he listens to Rolling Stones almost all the time. Has it on in the background mm-hmm. down at the pro shop. Right. Doug, nice to have you back with us, our resident PGA professional. Uh, beautiful weather. If you like uh, 90 degrees today, 95 degrees. I was supposed to play tomorrow with my son, but he said mm-hmm. 95 to 99, we're not playing. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm taking the day off tomorrow, but how's everything down in your area? It's good. I, I don't, I don't uh, blame you for not wanting to play in the heat. I mean, you know, uh, um, you know, from a Rolling Stones standpoint, I mean they they've been um, you know quite quite the band over the years and, and continue one of your favorites. Work. Well, you know what, I, I can appreciate uh, you know some of that classic rock. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm more of a Van Halen, U2, you know, kind of one of those kind of guys. I was born in the '70s, so I mean, you know, it's all relative. Roger. Yes, Oh. Doug, we must have lost Roger there? for a minute. Tommy, you're up. Doug, Doug, how you doing? No, I was just oh. going to say that the uh, I saw the Stones are going to have their uh, their tour, even though Watts uh, passed hmm. away. Hmm. Wow, that's unreal. <laughs> All right, Doug, I got a question for you now. Right? Okay. What do you think? You know, what do you think? Do you think I should stick with my new club to get a, get a new set? That's not, I was trying to debate about that all today. Mm. I played today. wasn't that good at all today, so I'm debating right. about that. Well, I mean, that. you know, it's 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 never the Indian. It's always the arrow, you know. So I think that uh, – <laughs> um, no, I'm seriously talking. I get a good new set of clubs. These clubs are 20 years old right now. What, 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 was no. the, what would you suggest? Well, it's I mean, matter 20 of years old. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, yeah, Tommy, Tommy, would you – would you keep a car for 20 years, Tommy? Almost did. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I almost did, almost did, Doug. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, if it's a if it's a classic car, I mean, if you have like a, you know, 1975, you know, uh, Mustang or 1970 Chevelle or something like that, I mean, you've got yourself a classic. Tommy's got I'm a Studebaker. I'm guessing the clubs you have don't owe you a cent. I so, I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Probably did, but no, it's, uh, I think the one question of dating is to get some, you know, clubs or go yeah. to flea market or, I mean, I'm going to, because I just got to play next month in Philadelphia and I got to, you know, I got to get these things squared away, what I got to do. But well, I, I mean, that's, I, I, that's, that's where people like me come in, you know, you have to have a local PGA yeah. professional that can evaluate, you know, what you have and you, you, you may be able to uh, make some moves that are, um, in your best interest in terms of easier to hit or, or lightweight graphite or, or things that are going to be a little easier for you to, uh, you know, make contact with, get in the air, stay in the air, and, and gain some of that distance back. Um, you know, I'm guessing you probably have, um, you know, your traditional three-wood, five-wood driver, right. you know, uh, probably have a three or four iron in your bag that you, that you don't need unless right. you see a snake that you need to kill. Um for golf balls. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think if you if you dump some of those 
I mean, the first place I would start if I were you is to dump your three iron, your four iron, and mm-hmm. depending on how you feel about your five iron, I, I would probably almost eliminate that too. Go to some mm-hmm. hybrids that are easier to hit, give you some more okay. flexibility in your set, and then uh, you know start start there. And then as you work your way through your set, maybe it's time to to get you know, some new irons, you could, you could get uh, six through pitching wedge. It's not going to break the bank and, and something that's lightweight mm-hmm. graphite, um, easier to swing, easier on your joints. Um, right. you know, um, but, but yeah, that's, I, we, we do that all the time when it comes to, you know, members that, that I look at their bags and say, you know, how do you, uh, how do you like this club? You know, and then it starts its own conversation and then you, you put together, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of clubs that have, you know, demos and different things that you can hit and try, mm-hmm. you know, no strings attached that you could say, hey, you know, I kind of like the way this looks or feels or performs. Do you have, do you you have anything in the demo line that would uh, you could have for like five years and at the end of five years evaluate right. whether you want to pay for it or not? That would be something Tommy could take to well, it's, it's a, you know, Yeah, Don, I mean, it's, it's a, you're, not least, you're not leasing it, Don. It's a, it's a demo. You know, you, you try it, you play with it, you bring it back. You know, we're not, there are no, uh, no interest rates and terms and money due on, upon signing here. Well, wait a minute. You're buying your car over 30, over you know, 70 months. Uh, you could take the 70 months and have him pay you the whole thing at the end if he likes the clubs. Right. <laughs> Don, one of the one of the problems with, with Tommy Kane is, is he uses those French balls, Ron Jay. Right. <laughs> That's probably good, right? you know that. With a distinctive uh, stripe in him. See, actually, Doug, right. what, what we're trying to find out is if you have any freebies. Demos that you're given that you can ship on to Tommy. Right. Well, you know, I've I've always I've always grown up in this in this world where people have to be willing to ask what they want. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, if you can't outright come out and say, "Look, I need new clubs, Doug. What can you give me for free?" Then then it's really not a conversation we can have. You know. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> let's go back. Let's go back to something relative. What do you What do you have seen in that Washington area right now? What's happening now? Yeah, with, and your Ravens. What's happening with your Ravens? Because they're going to go tomorrow night. Uh, so we'll mm-hmm. see what happens in that game. What do you think? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean it's uh, the final preseason game. Um, you know, obviously we we cut down rosters, which I think is the stupidest thing. I mean, to cut your roster down to eighty, which is to say, what you've, you've cut maybe five people. That's that's stupid. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, you, you know, pretty much all your starters are are not going to play in this game. Um, you know, there's still very many position battles that that need to iron themselves out. We uh, we lost um, <clears throat> L.J. Fort to a um, ACL, I think, uh, injury, and, and unfortunately, that's you know he was a versatile kind of a role player in there on third downs and and middle linebacker position. Um, we have several receivers that are on the mend in terms of Rashad Bateman, um, Hollywood Brown, guys like that. Um, I think there's probably a little bit of a question mark at that third running back position. Um, there's you know uh, are we going to keep you know two quarterbacks or or three? Um, you know, there's there's some position battles I think that are up in the air with some draft picks that were in the secondary. Is is Tavon Young going to play this year? Is Jimmy Smith going to be healthy? Are we going to fill that in with, you know, with youngsters? Um, you know, pass rush. Justin Houston hasn't gotten on the field yet. That's going to be something to, you know, take a look at. Um, 
you know, that second middle linebacker position next to Patrick Queen, I believe, is still up in the air to some degree. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that I think will sort themselves out. And I think that, uh, you know, tomorrow night, um, you know, that will give us an opportunity to, you know, probably uh, finalize the roster moving forward. You know, I can guarantee you, you know, after watching some of these preseason games, our backup kicker um, has made two or three 40-yard plus field goals and a 52-yarder field goal. So, I mean, you know, there's still cases for those kind of people that may not be on the team but could still be a part of somebody else's team that maybe we could get a draft pick for. So, um, there's a lot of good stuff going on there. Roger? Yeah, yeah, we were talking about it with uh, Mike Simzak, uh, Doug, that uh, if the Ravens are nice, they'll have one twenty six state straight uh, preseason games. And, uh, you know, Mike or Tom was saying uh, John Harbaugh has always been for winning. And uh, yeah. there's much talk about that. Uh, more big of an in way, but uh, any talk about it this week in Baltimore? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, pre- preseason football is exactly that. I mean, it's, you know, no, no one really cares at the end of the day. But, um, you know, I think statistically they've won 18 straight, I think, preseason football games. And, you know, I mean, uh, John Harbaugh is, you know, the kind of guy that wants to win, period, end of, end of story. So, I mean, he's, you know, not going to risk his team in a preseason game to win it. You know, if it, if, it, if it means someone's health or, you know, playing starters longer than, than what they should play for, um, you know. But we've we've always had uh, relatively good depth uh, behind all of our, our, our key, you know, skill positions. Um, you know, and, and, and Baltimore has always been a, a very gritty kind of a, a team that, that finds, you know, different ways to win in terms of defense or special teams or other phases of the game. Um you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if they can somehow get a lead, that's that's the way Baltimore plays football is to run it and, you know, use the clock and, and play good, solid special teams and defense. So, I mean, you know, we, we've been on a roll in, in the preseason, but that's, you know, you can't look back and say, well, gosh, they were such a good preseason team. I mean, we've had you know, playoff caliber teams over the last several years, but, you know, that's been the knock on, on uh, probably Coach Harbaugh as, as well as Lamar Jackson that they haven't been able to really – um, do much in the playoffs, and um, you know I think that's you know, where, where their their focus lies is is uh, you know winning football games and and getting into the playoffs and doing some damage in there. And, and uh, you know this will be uh, the fourth year of Lamar Jackson's uh, five year contract, so next year it escalates up to almost twenty three million dollars. And you know after that they're obviously going to try to resign him to a, a lucrative long term deal, which will be very very you know pricey. Um, you know, so I mean, the win- the window, as we know it, is closing when you have those rookie contracts that that are very generous to the salary cap. Um, you know, and then you know you start looking at guys like Mahomes and and all these different people that are making you know forty plus million dollars a year, and that that whacks your uh, your salary cap pretty good. So you know, your your scouting and rookies and and free agents have to fit accordingly, uh, you know, when they have such a big slice of that pie, and that's that's unfortunate. Um, and then for a running quarterback like Lamar Jackson, I mean, you know, um, Roger, we've talked about this with the, back to the Michael Vick days, you know, and running the football and, you know, what happens if, 
you know, uh, you know, Haloti Nada hit uh, Robert Griffin's, you know, knee, and that was the end of him, and so that contract goes, you know. So it's unfortunate, but um, it's a lot of money to spend for a quarterback for sure. Let's go back to golf for just a second. Did you ever, are you ever in a situation like last week's tournament here at Liberty where you nine inches of rain overnight? <laughs> I mean, I don't understand how they were able to get that golf course ready yeah. to play as quickly mm-hmm. as they could with nine right. inches of rain coming the night before. Well, um, you know, Liberty National, I, I, somebody could probably tell me uh, when that that golf course opened, but I would assume it's been um, relatively recent. And, and um, you know, golf courses, by and large, um, I mean, I, I can tell you our golf course was erected in 1927, and we drain very well when it comes to rain. Now, I can't imagine that, you know, having nine inches of rain in a short span of time would allow really any golf course to open. Um but in some cases, the technology that's that's advanced with with bunkers um, that have these uh, almost chambers or, or different things that allow water to get pumped out at a, a very quick speed. Um, you know the, um, the 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 sand-based um, erection of a lot of these greens and and uh, what's underneath of that turf is typically very permeable and and allows for incredible drainage. Um, obviously, they bring their maintenance staff out there to squeegee and and put water in different places. Um, you know, um, you can certainly amend the rules to lift clean in place and, and those sorts of things to, but I mean, it was, no one really likes to play on, on wet ground because you get no roll and, and it uh, certainly is a mess, but, um, you know, I would have to guess without any research or, you know, just as an educated guess that this golf course was erected in the fashion that provided it for unique drainage and, and different things. I mean, you know, some golf courses have underlying layers that, that can almost heat the turf, um, as we've seen in football as well. So um, I don't know what the construction of the course was, but obviously it was super helpful to, you know, making it playable. Well, you told the last couple of weeks that uh, I believe this is the week they're down near you, right? I don't yeah. go to Atlanta yep. until next week, I don't believe. They're, they're near right. you this week, right? Yeah, they're in, they're in my neck of the woods here. Um you know, when you guys flip on TV over the next couple of days um, and you can watch the tournament, um, I mean, I've played that golf course a number of times. Um, they've definitely flipped the nine. So um, the first hole that they play is actually the 10th the hole in the scorecard um, as it typically stands. So they, they, they reverse the nines. Um, you know, over the last several years, they've, uh, the second hole that they play will now be a par five, um, and I think they've probably put some different tee boxes in there. The the second hole they play used to be a, a fairly long par four. Um, you know, there's going to be some, some fun holes that um, a lot of these guys will have a go at in terms of driving, um, you know, or, or laying back uh, a considerable distance with the, with um, with an iron to hit a wedge in there. Um, the par five um, – seventh hole which is now since they flipped it so that would be what 18 16 the 16th hole is a par five that's that plays over 600 yards i mean it's almost 265 yards to reach the fairway from the back set of tees um oh my. you know i'd be but, there for a week I, 
I, you know, I, I can tell you that, um, you know, if the conditions are good, I don't know what, what kind of pin placements, you know, they're going to stick in there. Obviously, they're, they're going to be challenging. But um, I, my guess is that the winning score relative to par is going to be about 20-plus under for four rounds. So um, I, I think these guys will have a lot of fun with the golf course and, and um, you know, some of the short holes they'll take advantage of. Um, some of the par fives they'll, you know, hit hit their wedges into. Um, I don't know that they'll be able to get to really any of the par fives into, maybe one of them. Um you know, but it'll, it'll be fun to watch because, you know, I've I played there. Like I said, I've played there a number of times. It's a, it's a great facility. Um, you know, it's a, it's a national club where um, they have their local members um, that, that pretty much, you know, makes up a lot of their membership. But they have so many others that are members at other courses across the country that fly in for, for weekends. They have cottages and, and some different things there that make it fairly unique. Um, so it's it's a beautiful facility. It's really it really is a great experience, um, and you know to go there and and have the opportunity to play it. And um, I've been lucky enough to, like I said, play it several times. So it's it'll be fun to watch. Roger. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, Don and and uh, Doug and Tommy and Frank that uh, a good friend Don and I. Don knows him. I know him uh, for a long time, forty years. Uh, Frank Hillman uh, was a driver at uh, Liberty for the last 13 years, he told me that they lost their sponsorship and there will not be that tournament there next year. I don't know whether you heard that in New Jersey or not, Don. No, I did not hear that there weren't going to be there. I did not. Yeah. Yeah. He told me the other day, uh, cause he uh, was off last week cause he, uh, BMW, uh, they had all these new BMWs. That's what he was driving. And yeah, he said the players were terrific and everything, but he said they lost the, uh, lost the sponsorship. So well, BMW around next them. week. Next week's tournament is the BMW, right? That's in Atlanta. Well, yeah, but no, the BMW won that Liberty. No, they had Liberty the B- vehicles that he was driving at, at uh, Liberty. He's done it for 30 right, years. Right. He told me no, that this... they lost their sponsorship at Liberty. So they won't be back, will not be there next year. How about that? Wonder where they're going to play the first round of the FedEx. Then, Peter Stevens. I don't. I did not know that, Roger. You're absolutely right. I did not. Tommy, you're up. Oh, it's just interesting when you think about golf. You think about the distances. Doug, you're right. I, I played our course today. Hernando Oaks always in great shape, and mm-hmm. the, the first time today, the ball actually bounced in the fairway. Other times, you're right. you're short on the green. The ball gets stuck in the it gets stuck up there. But you actually got to bounce right. today. So, yeah, it was interesting. Now, so that's a uh, main thing, I guess, I'm going to start looking for, take your advice, start looking for some clubs, I guess, you know, like the like the woods and the and the, and the graphites, because just, you know, I use these clubs that I had before, so I'm like, the heck out of them, I couldn't hit the ball 10 yards. But right. I think I'm getting older for better, Doug. <laughs> I'll be an old well, man. You know, I just, I, I think you need to, to figure out, um, you know, some things that are going to be easier for you moving forward to, you know, launch in the air and, and um, you know, create new scoring opportunities for you with, with distance and, um, mm-hmm. you know, things that are easier to hit. I mean, look, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't carry a three iron. I, I do have a four iron, but at, at some point I'll likely move away from it. Um, I considered doing that this year. Um, you know, I, I might hit the four iron off. All- okay. Okay, what happened here? Did we lose Doug, right? 
Oh, no, I, I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's TikTok time. I have maybe Frank didn't say anything, so I haven't heard anything yet. But uh, well, I'm sorry to say, I, I really felt badly for Smith last weekend. I mean, to have such a great tournament, and then come down to the 18th hole and then the playoff. Uh, mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy, what a disappointment! To, first of all, hit the drive out of bounds to start there mm. on the first hole. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And then the second shot, he almost hit out of bounds again. <laughs> just I hard know. to believe. Hey guys, Don, Don, Don and everybody, it's a great show this week. Thanks for coming on. As always, like the dog, Mike Simzak, Mike Schulze, Director of Communications for Yachtback, Paul Larry Cummings, and Russ Bowman. Gentlemen, it's a great show. Thank you again for coming on board. Have a great week, Bye. Tommy, Frank. Take care, care man. Take, take care. care. You, uh, Doug, thank you very much. Doug, take care. PSA. God bless. Roger, I got God bless everybody. On uh, Saturday the 28th of uh, August, uh, the lovely Mrs. Uh, Carol will be have been tied to me for uh, 56 years. So um, wow. it's our, our wedding anniversary weekend. Congratulations, Frank. It's wonderful. Oh, my yep. God. Oh, all my prayers go to you and your family, to my family, your family. Great job as ever. And I'm getting packed, ready to go to Cleveland and get out of here for a couple of days. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the women and women police and fire services. When you're out there and see something in the uniform, please take the time to, to say something to them. Let them know that you know they're there. Since January 1st of 2021 to today, we've lost 166 police officers, deputies, uh, two, two gunshots. So please, please uh, let them know that you appreciate what they're doing. This program is dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Kalkat, Sergeant Thomas Bager, Patrolman Jeremy Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler. Lieutenant Mike Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman and Officer Chris from Lakeland PD, uh, Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Bay Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, then about Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chief Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Chief Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. <clears throat> Patrol Officer Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpa Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kotloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. FDA Lee Special Inspector Finney Galaccio. Delaware State Troopers, Corporal Stephen Ballard. Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter. Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin. I'm sorry, Island County Sheriff's Department. Uh, Clay, uh, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy uh, Clay Zerba. Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco uh, County Sheriff's Department. Officer Bob McKesson, Bluxy, Kentucky Police Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Sergeant Brian Levake, 
Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Mike Malik, Pinellas County. County Sheriff's Department. My brothers, sisters, are you may be 10-7 at this point in time. At some time, we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the wind be away at your back. May the, run, may the sunshine light on your face. <clears throat> and the rain falls softly on your fields until we meet again. May the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of the hand. Thank God bless and have a great day.
All units be advised, 1999s responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul. Thank you.